Hello, folks. Uh, welcome to Opposing the Matrix. And we have a snafu going on here. Uh, let's try <laughs> this is getting to be a challenge now you know when i have a challenge i always have to try to beat it to win over it so this kind of gives me a reason to live so to speak or get down okay we got a little dog that likes to jump up on tables and eat stuff so pardon me if i have to yell at her to get down all right we're going to click on the uh, telegram here and start streaming there, and then uh, we'll be ready to go. Hello, everybody on Telegram. Welcome. Welcome if you're uh, you're watching on um, Rumble or if you're watching on uh, Twitch, and uh, the other one is uh, Odyssey. So welcome, everybody. Uh, there's kind of a late notice here, so I don't know how many people are going to be watching this show. But it's some news that I really have to get out. I have to exhort you to watch this whole this whole program, okay? Uh, we're going to be playing a video. It's about 30 minutes long, but it's going to explain to you everything that's going on and why it's going on in Ukraine. And you're going to see that our government has been implicit in, um, in causing a lot of trouble, okay? Um, I should say the executive branch of this government and, and probably the uh, House of Representatives, too, if you want to look at all the Democrats in there. But um, anyway, yeah, there's there's a, a boatload of problems going on, and that might lead us to World War III. I don't think I would have said that if I hadn't thought it. And I think that we are closer now than ever, depending on what Russia decides to do. I hope they can show restraint. But... Um, I don't see how they can do it anymore, to tell you the truth. So uh, you may expect um, <clears throat> in the next week, month, or by the end of the year uh, that we're going to be in an armed conflict with the Russians in Europe, something that when I was younger, we always wondered if it was going to happen. And that's why NATO was formed, for, for goodness sakes, to, uh, to guard us against the, the, the Soviets and the Soviet bloc. Well, the thing is that the Soviets aren't the Soviets anymore. They're just the Russians. They got rid of communism, um, and they're, they keep working more and more towards a capitalistic society, except there's one, one problem, is that the NATO and this government we have here in the States will not let them do it. That it's every time that they try to make um, headway in uh, or progress, you know, in, in becoming more and more, I hate to say democratic, we're more of a republic um, that is um, capitalist in nature, the good capitalism, not the bad. Um, the more and more they have roadblocks thrown in front of them. You're going to see in this video uh, what we're talking about. But consider this, folks. <clears throat> uh, please consider this. Um, let's see. NATO and, and the West... Uh, and I, when I say NATO, I, United States, too, because United States is an integral part of NATO. Um, they've broken agreements several times with the Russians. The Russians uh, were promised things, and they were told that 
um, as they, they said, hey, listen, we'll abide by this as long as you don't um, make any of the countries east of Germany go into the block, go into your NATO block. And uh, they just want a buffer zone. That's all they want, okay? And I can't blame them. I really can't. However, you know, every time NATO promises them something, NATO backs out of it, or they, they just ignore it, and they go ahead and do that bad thing anyway. Um, that can give the fact that there's 30 or 30-plus 30 biological labs um, in, um, in Ukraine, and they're all sponsored by the West, um, per, specifically the United States military. Um, and add, add on to that the uh, child trafficking, which uh, Ukraine is a big, basic major hub there um, for Europe and Eastern Europe, that is. And um, oh, what else? Oh, the corruption. We see that going on with Hunter Biden. Um, and, and that really came to a head when... Um, when uh, Biden or Joe Biden was uh, the vice president and um, his son was trying to work out a deal in, um, in Ukraine and uh, the Ukrainians at the same time, though, uh, a branch, uh, their judicial branch was really considering looking into uh, criminal activity that was going on in, in Ukraine um, that would be associated with uh, Hunter Biden and the Biden crime syndicate. Um, and Joe, it's, you can listen to it yourself online, folks. Uh, Joe Biden said, hey, he says, you know, if, if you guys don't get rid of that prosecutor, you're not going to get the billion dollars that we promised you. You know, talk about quid pro quo. That's all we heard about with Trump when he was in offices. Quid pro quo, quid pro quo, you know. But the Democrats are always, always good, just like Satan. Well, they, they're, they're aligned with one another anyway, but. Uh, just like Satan, they're really good at blaming the the people that they're um, they're victimizing and casting their guilt or sin on the people that they're they're uh, they're harming. Okay, and you see it time and time and time and time again. You know the uh, the Democratic Party is probably the most corrupt entity in the United States. Um, and they're, but they'll always say you know, right away, oh, it was it was Trump, it was the it was the Republicans, the Republicans won't let us do this, Republicans won't let us do that. Well, good, <laughs> very good. I'm glad. Um, and what about drug trafficking? Ukraine's right up there uh, with all the drug tra trafficking, kind of a crossroads from the Middle East and into Europe. Okay. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. And what about the fact that they were they've always uh, for at least since uh, 2014 uh, and even before that, even in the early 2000s, um, persecuting the Russian uh, eth ethnic Russians that live in the east part of Ukraine. OK, what about that? That would be like if that happened. OK, in this country, <laughs> that would be like. Um, I'm just trying to think of, oh, the Native Americans, okay? That would be like us persecuting the Native Americans. And I'm talking about not, not just the persecution that they, they bear already, but um, 
you know, I'm talking about, you know, going into uh, on reservations and shooting people at random and stuff like that and, um, and sending over missiles and bombs and everything else. And, and then, um, you know, that's, that's what it would be like. We wouldn't stand for it in this country, yet we're, it's okay if the uh, Ukrainians are doing it to the ethnic Russians that live on the east. And they've lived there for generations, for goodness sakes. And, folks, if you have, have ever seen – okay, here's a here's case in point. <clears throat> um, I had a relative uh, or a family branch of mine that came from um, Czechoslovakia, Austria, that area, because it, those territories changed hands so often. One time it would be the Austrian Empire. The next time it would be the, the Hungarian Empire. The next time it's, it's Germany and stuff like that. You know, it's the, the it, it, they exchange ownership many, many, many times. But the people in eastern um, Ukraine have lived there for, for generations upon generations upon generations. Um, and at one time, Russia was that was part of Russia. OK, another time it wasn't. One time uh, Ukraine was part of the Polish Empire. And, it, it, you know, so. So a Russian ethnic, ethnic community lives in eastern Ukraine and have for years, and they don't want to give up their ethnicity. Can you blame them? Can you really blame them? Especially when you got people in this country, oh, I'm Italian-American, I'm Polish-American, I'm German-American, I'm Afro-American, I'm Latino-American, you know. You know, there should be no, in this country, especially because it's a melting pot, and, and to move here, originally you had to give up all your your um, your titles and stuff from where you came. Uh, it doesn't appear to be a, a thing anymore, but that's what you had to do. But um, it's never been the case in eastern uh, Ukraine. And um, so a very large uh, Russian ethnicity there. And all they want to do is be left alone. That's all. Okay, but when you, you know... <laughs> You think you're going to be okay, and then one day, you know, there's missiles coming in and exploding all around you, and then you're okay for another year, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's that that wears thin on people. It really does. And uh, and the Hunter Biden thing was called Burisma, by the way. Yeah, if you hear Burisma on the news, that's what they're talking about. You know, he was trying to make business deals there, where he was making millions of dollars, and I think it had to do with oil, if I'm not mistaken. And Burisma was, and uh, and uh, the big guy, which was Joe Biden, was always getting a cut of that. <clears throat> so that's why he would he can call up the the representative, uh, you know, uh, of Ukraine and say, hey, if you don't get rid of this guy, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. Boy, have they gotten billions of dollars recently, huh? Jeez. Our own soldiers are coming back and are living out on the streets, and we have to. We're, we're giving billions of dollars to to Ukraine. You know, um, the homeless problem because of the the economy and the, the recession or depression. I think we're in a depression, um, but uh, you know, all that stuff is going on, and still we're sending money. I I don't know if you heard this the other day, folks, but this is. This is so stupid. It's I can't believe it's happening. And like one guy said, you can't make this stuff up. But uh, they were Biden talked the other day, and he says he said that uh, that things are going bad in Ukraine because they're 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 out of ammunition. And then he says that we're out of ammunition. 
are very low on it. Now, with the geopolitical things that are going on in this, this world right now, where you have to be the strong dog on the street, okay, you have to, you have, to have that air, even if it's not true. You make people believe it. But when your leader, your, your president gets on, gets on television or at a press conference or whatever and says that we're out of ammunition, why don't he, why don't he just advertise, you know, hey, uh, attack us now, uh, conquer us now, we're out of ammunition. Because basically that's what he did. Okay. Um, and another thing, before I play this video, this guy's going to talk about um, how the United States, uh, at first, when I fir first watched it, I was kind of um, dumbfounded or, you know, maybe slapped in the face because it, it does involve um, the United States. But he was talking about the United States being an imperialistic power. And, you know, when I was growing up, if you heard somebody from Eastern Europe say imperialistic and, and mentioning the United States, it was usually the communists that were downing us for for, um, for being um, for being imperialist, I guess. Um, and you know, you never thought about it, you know. And uh, but going way back in history, you know, look at what the, the Native Americans, man, what we've done to them over the last 200, 300 years, you know. Um, and that's a travesty. It really is. But every time we wanted more land, we push them away, push them farther, farther west, push them farther, farther west. And then that wasn't enough. We had a, just a lot of a little bit of land and push them on there. And then you try to take that away. For goodness sakes, that's that's a despotism. Despotism. Um, <laughs> there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But the, the guy that's uh, doing this video makes that claim at the beginning, and he's right. And, and I was just sitting here thinking, well, look at all the, um, what should I say, all the, uh, the territories that the United States um, basically owns. Okay, They're, they call them protectorates because we protect them. But uh, basically, you know, you, <laughs> they've entered into a deal with the devil, so to speak. And they, um, <clears throat> yeah, for protection, but, you know, you collect taxes from them then and, and everything else, and you use their land and the whole nine yards. So... Guam. Guam's a big one. An island out the way out in the middle of nowhere out in the Pacific. Yet militarily, it's a very strategic place. So we set our we planted our tree there and its roots go deep. Midway is another one. Okay, it's a crossing point that is used um, by the military uh, to be able to hop, skip, and jump uh, to the Far East. Um, the Marshall Islands, uh, which I think Guam is part of, or Midway. You know, Midway isn't, but Guam is. Um, you know, it's a whole series of islands that uh, the United States has. Uh, and, and there's a whole, there are groups of islands all over that place there. Just like you have French Polynesia, you have American uh, sets of islands. Like I said, the Marshall Islands is one of them. And um, there, there are very many. Look at Puerto Rico. Now, <laughs> it's kind of a a trade-off with Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico wants to be able to they have the association, but at the same time, they want to be their own entity. So that's why every time some Yahoo in the white house decides that he wants to ask them if they want to become a state, Oh no, no, no. They've got a good deal. <laughs> you know, they can travel. Technically they're us citizens. They can travel 
to and fro from from uh, all over America and back to Puerto Rico. Um, yes, they have to pay taxes and stuff like that, but you know it's that's only fair. But um, <clears throat> but anyway, so the, you know we we basically own Puerto Rico, um, the U.S. Bahamas, okay, uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, down in that area. Um, you name it. There's there's a whole bunch of islands down there that uh, the United States lays claim to. Um, look, uh, the Native American um, reservations. You know, yeah, they are sovereign nations, but at the same time, you know, the United States funnels money into them. But you know, I can't really use that because. Whenever somebody that what is the scripture says it says uh, the borrower becomes servant to the lender, okay, and that's the any time the government wants to give you something. Here's an example. Remember a couple of years ago we were all getting those checks from the government for uh, for COVID relief. Oh yeah, here have two hundred, have three hundred dollars, and then you got to the end of the year and went to did your tax do your taxes and realized that that got tacked on there because that was taxable money, okay. So when the government wants to give you something, check the fine print because there's always fine print. Okay, what do we got here? Um, yeah, so the Navajos, the Apaches, the Iroquois, the Cherokee, and all the other tribes that uh, have trusted in the United States have, um, and you want a good argument against gun control? <laughs> there you go. Take the guns away and the government sticks you on a reservation and uh, decides to help you whenever it wants to. Um, let's see. All right. What about the Philippines? Okay. Um, now they have their sovereign country, but at the same time, you know, they, a lot of times the United States will tell them to do something and they do it, um, mainly because, uh, we support them monetarily. And, uh, but there was a few years ago, um, that, uh, they kicked all our military out of there, Subic Bay and stuff like that, that, that became a thing of the past. So um, at least uh, the Filipinos got smart and uh, and realized that they were being used. But um, again, that was that was an important area for the United States to have some control. Control and and also now that I think they're starting to reopen those bases with all that's going up in China and everything. Then you have uh, two islands, Saipan and Iwo Jima. Uh, both were conquered during World War II. Um, they were stepping stones on the way to. Um, Japan, a lot of our planes would land there and, uh, and take off and then bomb Japan. So uh, anyway, um, we recently, if I'm not mistaken, we gave those two islands back to Japan. And uh, there were a whole bunch of little islands there, though, that, uh, that have been given back to Japan over time. Now, the video um, that we're going to watch is um, the, the channel is on Rumble, and it's Geopolitical Economy Report, okay? And the particular um, video we're going to watch is uh, titled Ukraine Zelensky Sabotage Peace Peace Deal with Russia, West Block Negotiations. <clears throat> so, again, every time the Russians have trusted the West, the West has uh, put the screws to Russia. So, and, you know, if Russia was still a hostile nation, I'd say amen and hallelujah, do it. But... Um, Folks, you got to understand that there's three countries in this world right now that are not bowing to the new world order. 
Um, we're getting real close to bowing, but hopefully Trump will step in and do something about that, and hopefully before 2024. But the United States, Russia, and China. Russia is fighting for the the uh, the old order, the, establish of the establishment that is here now, and um, but in a more democratic form. I hate using that word. Um, a, a form where the countries are republics and constitutional republics, okay? Uh, that's a little better way of putting it. Um, but um, so, and the Chinese, yes, I know the Chinese are communists and it looks bad, but uh, Zhao is um, is uh, definitely against the, the New World Order and uh, he's going to fight it. So much so, I think it even goes into the revelation that, uh, you know, 200 million man army goes into the goes into the Israel area to fight against the Antichrist. And then later on, I guess, maybe fight against the uh, the Lord's return. But I think he's going to fight against the Antichrist for the most part. Um, so, and I've explained before, I've done shows about this, that there's a scripture that says that when the Antichrist rises up, he's going to have to, there's, there's three nations that are he's going to have to put down. And I do believe that that's the United States, Russia, and China, okay? They're the most influential, in them, and they could come the most against the Antichrist, okay? So they're a force to be reckoned with, but he's going to have supernatural power from his father, the devil, and um, he's going to be able to to work miracles in that, in that aspect. So, okay, so what I'd like to do is um, to watch this video. Folks, please watch the entirety. Listen to it very closely because this guy tells the truth. And truth, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth as to what the Russians are doing, why they feel they have to do it, uh, how the West forced them into this, and how the, the West is um, is trying to obliterate Russia and basically turn it into three other three countries, okay? Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and play this and then... Um, so please just watch till the end, and um, I think it's very crucial that you do, and it'll help you to understand. And then later on, when you forward this um, this program to uh, or this you know this particular broadcast to other people, you'll know that you're helping them to understand what's going on. Um, the Russians are not necessarily the bad characters here. Um, the United States and NATO, they are. Okay, so here we go. If you listen to Western governments and media outlets, they act as though the war in Ukraine began in February 2022 when Russia invaded. But the reality is that the war in Ukraine goes back to February 2014 when the United States backed a coup, a violent coup, that overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected government, which had been geopolitically neutral and balanced the East against Russia. And instead, after this U.S.-backed coup, in which the third-in-command of the State Department today, Victoria Nuland, was recorded on, a phone, on the phone speaking with the U.S. ambassador discussing who to replace the Ukrainian government with. So uh, I don't think Cleet should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. After that U.S.-backed coup, there was a civil war that was set off. This was a violent conflict that was between the central government in Kiev, backed by the West, fighting against pro-Russian, Russian-speaking 
separatists in the eastern part of Ukraine. And this civil war that was set off by the U.S.-backed coup in 2014 is exactly what the former U.S. ambassador to Russia, William Burns, had predicted back in 2008. He wrote an embassy cable, which we have thanks to WikiLeaks, which is why journalist Julian Assange is in prison. And in this, this document, in this State Department cable, you can see that the U.S. ambassador to Russia, William Burns, it was titled, Niet means Niet, No means No, Russia's NATO enlargement red lines. And he said that if, if NATO expands into Ukraine, quote, it could potentially split the country in two, leading to violence or even some claim civil war, which would force Russia to decide whether to intervene. That is exactly what has happened. And I will link to this, the source of this in the description below so people can check that out. That is exactly what happened. That is what set off the war in Ukraine back in 2014. And according to the United Nations, between 2014 and the end of 2021, before, Russian sent, before Russia sent a single troop into Ukraine, 14,000 Ukrainians died, according to the UN. And then when Russia invaded, that, that set off a new stage of the war. But we, there have been many attempts at holding peace talks throughout this conflict, going back to 2014. And in 2014 and 2015, there were a series of peace talks that were held in Belarus, in Minsk. And those are called the Minsk Accords. Minsk I was negotiated in 2014, the same year that the Civil War began after the U.S.-backed coup. And then that failed. And then there was another agreement that was called Minsk II. And that agreement technically held. And this was negotiated between the Ukrainian government and Russia with the oversight of Germany and France, and also Belarus, which hosted it. And this is called the Normandy format. And in 2015, they signed an agreement, a peace agreement, between Ukraine and Russia that was aimed to stop the civil war in Ukraine between the central government backed by the West and the Russian-speaking separatists in Ukraine. And that was signed in 2015 by Russian President Putin, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, French President François Hollande, and also then-Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko, who was a billionaire oligarch who, was, who came to power after the U.S.-backed coup in 2014 in Ukraine, overthrew the democratically elected president, Viktor Yanukovych. Now, Zelensky, the current Ukrainian leader, has admitted that he refused to implement this peace deal that's called Minsk II. He personally admitted to sabotaging this peace deal that goes back to 2015. And it was never implemented by the Ukrainian government. He admitted this in an interview that he did with the German newspaper Der Spiegel, which is a major German newspaper. And this was published on February 9th. And if you go down toward the end of the interview, it's in German, but what I did is I speak a little German and I had a German friend of mine who's a fluent German speaker who over, over, he looked over the translation and made sure that it was accurate. So here I'm just going to use the auto translation. And again, this was confirmed by a native German speaker. Zelensky said in this interview with this German newspaper, he said, quote, I think the Minsk agreements were such a concession. He was complaining 
And then the, news, the German newspaper Der Spiegel asked Zelensky, but you tried to implement the Minsk agreement, right? And Zelensky said, I jumped on the train, which to be honest, was already headed toward the abyss. He said that basically he refused to negotiate it seriously. He only pretended to jump on the train and pretended to support it in order to, to have a prisoner exchange between Russia and Ukraine. He said that very clearly. He was not ever committed to this peace agreement. And he said, procrastination is perfectly fine in democracy. So that's him admitting that he never was serious about actually implementing this peace agreement. It was about procrastinating. That is to say, giving Ukraine time to prepare for war with Russia. And he said openly in this interview, he said, this is the Ukrainian Western back leader, quote, as far as Minsk is concerned, I said to Emmanuel Macron and Angela Merkel, we cannot do it like this. So this is confirmation from the mouth of Zelensky speaking with a major German newspaper that he refused to implement the 2015 peace agreement, Minsk II. And that agreement said very clearly, this is the full text of the agreement back from 2015. Again, this is Minsk II. And this is a transcript from the Turkish state media outlet the Anadolu Agency. Again, I will link in the description below to an article that I wrote at geopoliticaleconomy.com, which has all of the sources that I'm discussing now. And there were 13 points in Minsk II, in this, this peace agreement between Russia and Ukraine. And two of the most important points come toward the end. Point 11 said, this is the agreement that Ukraine signed. Now, it was signed by Ukraine's previous president, Petro Poroshenko, and he never implemented it. And then Zelensky came into power in 2019, and he ironically ran on a presidential campaign promising to implement Minsk II. The Ukrainian people voted for him because they thought that he was going to try to broker peace with Russia, whereas Poroshenko had never tried to implement Minsk II. But then when Zelensky came to power, he just, he had lied. He had no in, in, intention to actually implement this agreement. It was just a lie that he said during his presidential campaign. And these are the most important points of Minsk too that were never negotiated, they were never implemented by the Ukrainian government, despite the fact that the Ukrainian government signed this agreement. Point 11 says, quote, implementation of constitutional reform in Ukraine with the new constitution to come into effect by the end of 2015, the key element of which is decentralization taking into account peculiarities, peculiarities of particular districts of Donetsk and Lugansk oblasts. So it's specifically about special status for Donetsk and Lugansk. And those were the areas where there were, there were these Russian-speaking separatist fighting who were born in Ukraine, raised in Ukraine, but they were ethnically Russian and they were oppressed by the Ukrainian state, especially after this 2014 US-backed coup, and there was an anti-Russification program in which the Ukrainian government repressed the Russian language, repressed Russian-speaking ethnic Russian Ukrainians, and banned uh, socialist and communist parties, and made it legally mandatory to honor people who had collaborated with, with Nazi Germany, like Stepan Bandera. So point 12 of the the Ukrainian agreement that was signed. This is, again, Minsk II. Point 12 said that Ukraine had to abide by this law on 
self-governance in Donetsk and Lugansk. So once again, the Ukrainian government had agreed to decentralization, constitutional reform, and giving autonomy and special representation to these Russian-speaking areas in the eastern part of Ukraine. And as Zelensky made it clear, he never was serious about implementing that. And his predecessor was never serious either. So this is proof that the Ukrainian government intentionally sabotaged a peace agreement that was brokered with Russia by France and Germany in 2015 which obviously is an important detail to understand the conflict today and why Russia invaded. You can't ignore these historical facts and act as though Putin is this crazy madman who just invaded Ukraine for fun. Now, Zelensky's comments are also confirmed by comments that were made by the former leader of Germany, Angela Merkel, the German chancellor. She was one of the main people who sponsored the Minsk agreements. And Angela Merkel did an interview on December 7th with another German newspaper, which is Die Zeit. And in this interview, Angela Merkel said, this is an exact quote, the 2014 Minsk agreement was an attempt to buy time for Ukraine. Ukraine used this time to become stronger, as you can see today. Ukraine in 2014, 2015, and Ukraine today are not the same. And then she later said that the Minsk agreement quote, was exactly what gave Ukraine the priceless time. So this is a European leader who negotiated Minsk. You can see her in the photo here, admitting that Ukraine was never actually implementing this peace deal. It was all about giving Ukraine more time to prepare for war with Russia. And by Ukraine, we mean the West, we mean the US and NATO and the European Union, which are using Ukraine as a proxy in this war against Russia. So right after 2014 with the US-backed coup, the pro-Western regime in Ukraine began collaborating closely with NATO. The US and NATO were training Ukrainian military forces, special operations forces, troops, flooding Ukraine with weapons. The Western weapons shipments for Ukraine did not begin in February of 2022. They began back in 2014, immediately after the coup set off the civil war. And it's not just Angela Merkel who has admitted this. It's also the former French leader, Francois Hollande, who also was involved in negotiating the Minsk agreements. You can see him in this photo standing, standing next to Angela Merkel and Putin. And Francois Hollande, the, German, the former French president, did an interview with the Ukrainian Western government-funded media outlet, the Kiev Independent, which is funded by... Europe and Canada, um, it's an anti-Russian propaganda outlet and it's funded by the West. And the Kiev Independent interviewed Hollande and he admitted in this interview that Ukraine was not serious about implementing the Minsk agreements and Ukraine used this time to prepare for war. The Kiev Independent asked the French, French former pre French President Hollande, quote, an interview with the German newspaper Die Zeit Angela Merkel said about the Minsk protocols that, quote, it was obvious that the conflict was going to be frozen, that the problem was not solved, but it just gave Ukraine precious time, end quote. Do you also believe that the negotiations in Minsk were intended to delay Russian advances in Ukraine? And Hollande said, quote, yes, 
Angela Merkel is right on this point. So he's admitting that, yes, Ukraine was not going to implement this peace deal. It was using it to prepare for war. And he said this very clearly. The French president added, quote, Since 2014, Ukraine has strengthened its military posture. Indeed, the Ukrainian army was completely different from that of 2014. It was better trained and equipped. It is the merit of the Minsk agreements that, to have given the Ukrainian army this opportunity. So this is confirmation from the French leader, as well as the German leader who negotiated the Minsk agreements that Ukraine never actually planned on implementing this peace deal. It was never about peace. It was about temporarily delaying the war with Russia because they knew that Ukraine wasn't ready for the Western proxy war they were going to wage in Ukraine against Russia. And this is not the only evidence. We have so much evidence that has been growing, proving that the West doesn't want peace in Ukraine because their goal is not peace. Their goal is regime change in the Kremlin. U.S. President Joe Biden admitted this in a speech in Poland in 2022. He said that the U.S. goal is overthrowing Russian President Putin. And the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin also admitted that the U.S. goal is to weaken Russia. It's not about democracy in Ukraine. It's not about any of that. This was also recently admitted by one of the closest Western allies, the former leader of Israel, Naftali Bennett, who was a far-right former leader of Israel. And this is an article by Dave DeCamp, who's an anti-war journalist. And he noted that uh, Naftali Bennett did an interview that he posted on his YouTube channel in which he admitted that the U.S. and Western allies blocked his efforts at mediating a, uh, an end to the war between Russia and Ukraine. This article notes that in March of 2022, just a few weeks into this new phase of the war, so this is two weeks after Russia invaded, the Israeli leader traveled to Russia to meet with Russian President Putin. There he was trying to mediate peace talks between Putin and Ukraine, and Zelensky was being represented by the U.S., France, Germany, and Britain, and Israeli leader Bennett said that both sides, Russia and Ukraine, agreed to major concessions and to, have, to end the war. Uh, Russia agreed that, that Zelensky didn't have to leave power. They agreed that, that, uh, that they wouldn't try to kill Zelensky and, and they made other concessions. And Zelensky said that, that Ukraine would not try to seek NATO membership. And the Israeli leader Bennett said that that was the reason for why Russia was invading. Putin told him directly that it's because Ukraine is going to join NATO. If Ukraine will give us a written security guarantee that it will never join NATO, we will not invade. And here is the video from Nathalie Bennett's official YouTube channel. And what I'm going to do is I'll play the audio of him speaking. He's speaking in Hebrew, but it, there's English translation. And I'll read out what he's saying in English. And you can see very clearly that this is the former Israeli leader one of the closest Western allies, admitting that the West sabotaged attempts to have peace talks, to have a peace deal right at the beginning of this new phase of the war between Russia and Ukraine. Natalie Bennett begins saying, I'm going to say this in the broad sense. He says, I think there was a legitimate decision by the West 
This is the former leader of Israel, a Western outpost for settler colonialism in West Asia that was created by British colonialism and has been supported by the U.S. empire ever since. This is the former leader of Israel admitting that the West blocked peace with Ukraine, peace with Russia and Ukraine. The West prevented peace. And this is not the first time that the West sabotaged a peace deal between Ukraine and Russia. In fact, the British government under former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he also sabotaged a peace deal that was being worked out between Russia and Ukraine in March of 2022, just a few weeks into this new phase of the war after the Russian invasion. I have a separate video I did about this in a podcast in, in greater detail. I will link to the article in the description below so you can find all the sources. And this was admitted by a Ukrainian newspaper, a very mainstream, called Ukrainska Pravda, which means Ukrainian truth. And this is a very anti-Russian, pro-Western newspaper. I mean, they have, a, they have an ad at the top saying that their journalists are fighting on the front line against Russia. So, uh, I mean, they're trying to raise money on how anti-Russian they are. But they admit, they admitted in an article in May that there were peace talks being worked out in March after there were peace negotiations between Russia and Ukraine in Turkey, Turkey, and since then, and, and then after that, the British government, uh, Boris Johnson flew to Kiev and he sabotaged the peace agreement in alliance with the US. This article admitted that the Russian side was ready for the Zelensky-Putin meeting, and according to sources close to Zelensky, Boris Johnson came without warning and he brought two mes messages. One, that Putin is a war criminal, he should be pressured, not negotiated with, and that Ukraine should not sign any agreements. Boris Johnson's position was that the collective West now felt Putin was not really as powerful as they had previously had managed, managed, imagined, and that th this was the chance to press him. And then three days after Johnson left back for Britain, Putin went public and said the peace talks with Ukraine had turned into a dead end. And that after that, the negotiation was paused. So. This is more evidence that there was a peace deal that was brokered in Turkey between Russia and Ukraine. Russia was willing to join the peace deal, and yet Ukraine was ordered by its Western sp sponsors, its Western imperial overlords, to sabotage the peace agreement. This was also admitted in an article in Foreign Affairs, which is which represents it's basically the mouthpiece of the foreign policy elite in Washington D.C. It is the official magazine of the Council on Foreign Relations, which has a revolving door with the U.S. government. And they published an article in September, October 2022. And this is written by former U.S. government officials, this article. This article was written by Fiona Hill, who from 2017 to 2019 was the senior director of Europe and Russia on the U.S. National Security Council. And it's written, it was also written by another mainstream anti-Russian scholar. So written by people who have worked with the U.S. government and oversaw, overseen Russia policy. 
and they admitted, quote, according to multiple former senior U.S. officials we spoke with, in April 2022, Russian and Ukrainian negotiators appeared to have tentatively agreed on the outlines of a negotiated interim settlement. Russia would withdraw to its position on February 23rd, which is the day before it invaded, when it controlled part of the Donbass and all of Crimea, and in exchange, Ukraine would promise not to seek NATO membership and instead receive security guarantees from a number of countries. So, but as Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said in July, this compromise was no longer an option, and that's because the West sabotaged it. Boris Johnson went to Kiev in alliance with the U.S., and he told Ukraine, he told Zelensky, you cannot sign any peace agreement with Russia because we think that we can now overthrow Putin. This is our moment to weaken Putin and overthrow him. And this is yet another example of how again and again and again and again and again since, since the 1990s, the West has lied to Russia. In, and every time they have peace talks and diplomacy with Russia, they lied. They lied in 1990 when the Western powers met in the so-called two plus four negotiations and the Soviet Union agreed to the, to the reunification of West and East Germany if, the, if NATO agreed not to expand NATO to the east of Germany. And yet they lied. And this is not just a rumor. There are diplomatic notes from a 1991 meeting between the US, Britain, France, and Germany admitting that they had agreed in this diplomatic meeting to not expand NATO one inch east after the reunification of Germany. This, these are the notes that were discovered by a mainstream scholar named Josh, Josh Schriffensen, who is a professor of international relations at Boston University. And he found these notes from the British government. These are official diplomatic notes of this, this meeting between the US, France, uh, Britain, and reunified Germany. And it says that in the two plus four negotiations, that is in 1991, quote, we had made it clear during the two plus four negotiations that we would not, to, that we would not extend NATO beyond the Elbe, which is the, the river in Germany. So they admitted, they also said, we could not therefore offer membership of NATO to Poland and the others. So they, they broke their own agreement they, they had made with the former Soviet Union in 1990. And you can see a map showing NATO expansion since then. NATO has expanded numerous times. A dozen new members were added. In 1999, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland were added. In 2004, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia were added. In 2009, Albania and Croatia joined. In 2017, Montenegro joined. And in 2020, North Macedonia joined. And many of these countries were part of the Warsaw Pact. They were allies of the Soviet Union, like Bulgaria, like Hungary, like Poland. And some of these other countries had been part of the Soviet Union, like the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. So you can just look at this map. There are now, these Baltic states are members of NATO and they're on Russia's borders. And they constantly do NATO military exercises right on Russia's borders. And they were planning on doing the same to, to Ukraine. They were gonna add Ukraine to NATO 
And then that would give them the possibility to invade in the southern flank and cross over. And then they could cut off southern Russia from northern, the, from main, the rest of Russia. And then they would cut off Russia's access to the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. And also its access to the Middle East, West Asia here. So Russia knows this would be fatal. This small land mass here between Ukraine and Kazakhstan, that's exactly where Nazi Germany invaded the former Soviet Union. And the strategy was to cut off Russia, and then they could cut off the supply lines to Russia, and Russia would be, would be finished. Russia knows that this is, for its national security, this is an existential problem, an existential crisis. It cannot lose access to the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. And that's why it is so so concerned about Ukraine joining NATO. That is why it invaded. And that is why the West has sabotaged all peace talks, because they, they want regime change in Russia. They want to, to overthrow the Russian government. They want to carve up Russia. Numerous Western government officials have said it, including Brzezinski, including Dick Cheney. And this is why Russia exhausted every single path at diplomacy before it decided to invade Ukraine in February of 2022. Let's not forget that this has been completely erased from the narrative, but in December of 2021, three months before Russia invaded, Russia asked for written security guarantees from the US and NATO. And what was their response? The West ignored Russia. Here's a report in ABC News, mainstream media, back from December, 2020, December 2021, quote, Russia published a list of sweeping new security guarantees it wants from the United States and NATO, including a promise not to expand the alliance, which, by the way, was what the Western powers had agreed to back in 1990. So Russia wasn't asking for anything new. Moscow was simply asking for the Western powers to abide by the agreement that they had made in 1990 when Germany was reunified. Russia called for the prohibition of NATO military activity in Eastern Europe and most of the former Soviet Union. And Russia proposed two draft treaties that were published by the Russian foreign ministry. And what was the response of the Western powers? They didn't want peace with Russia. They were preparing since 2014 for war with Russia. What was their response? In January 2022, a month before Russia invaded, NATO and the U.S. rejected Russia's demand for security guarantees. This is a report also in ABC News, mainstream media, from January 2022. NATO rejects Russian demands for security guarantees in latest, round of, latest rounds of talks. And they note that Russia met with 30 NATO member states at the alliance's headquarters in Brussels. It was part of three diplomatic meetings. Russia also met with the U.S. And what happened? NATO unanimously rebuffed Moscow's core demands for formal guarantees that Ukraine will never join NATO and that the alliance will pull back its forces from the countries in Eastern Europe that joined after the Cold War. Russia and the United States held talks in Geneva where Moscow pressed those demands and which the U.S. rejected as impossible. So at every single stage, Russia has tried to engage in diplomacy. Going back to 1990, when it was still the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union agreed to German reunification as long as NATO did not expand one inch east. And it expanded many, many, many kilometers, thousands of kilometers to the east 
adding a dozen new members, including former members, member states of the Soviet Union, including former allies in the Warsaw Pact. So the West violated that agreement. And then Russia uh, negotiated the Minsk agreements in 2014 and 2015, which Ukraine violated, as Zelensky himself admitted. And as Merkel and the former French president, uh, Hollande admitted, Ukraine and the West used those years to prepare for war. And then when Russia, in, in December of 2021, three months before it invaded, Russia demanded security guarantees in writing from the US and NATO in Europe, and they rejected all of Russia's security guarantees, security demands. And then Russia invaded and tried to have peace talks, and Western government officials admitted that Russia was willing to have peace talks with Ukraine, and they had an agreement worked out. First, they had an agreement worked out in Turkey, and that was sabotaged by Britain. Then they had an agreement worked out also with, through Israel's negotiation, and that was also sabotaged. At every single stage, the West has prevented peace with Russia, and that's because their goal is not peace with Russia. Their goal is to overthrow the Russian government to install a new puppet regime, like under the alcoholic US puppet Boris Yeltsin in the 1990s, and ultimately to balkanize and carve up Russia. Former US Vice President Dick Cheney, who was the power behind the throne in the George W. Bush administration, he admitted that the US goal is to break up Russia as a country. And this was admitted in the memoir by Robert Gates, who was the former US Defense Secretary. His memoir is called Duty. And in this, he said that Dick Cheney wanted to dismantle Russia itself after dismantling the Soviet Union, and he said that it was a mistake not doing so. And this was also exactly what the U.S. imperial strategist Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was national security advisor under U.S. President Jimmy Carter and oversaw the, the proxy war against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan in the 1980s, he admitted in an article in Foreign Affairs, which is, again, the, the magazine of the Council on Foreign Relations, it has a revolving door with the State Department. He had admitted in an article in 1997 titled A Geostrategy for Eurasia. He said that the goal is to break up Russia, and he proposed three parts. He said he called for breaking up Russia into a European Russia, a Siberian Russia, and a Far Eastern Republic. And in fact, the US government is still talking about this today. In June of 2022, the US Congress sponsored a congressional briefing that plotted ways to break up Russia as a country, and it was called Decolonization of Russia. And I have a separate video and podcast about that. I will link to it in the description below. That is what the US goal is. It's not peace. It is literally carving up Russia as a country, like what NATO did to Yugoslavia, which no longer exists as a country. Yugoslavia was destroyed by NATO in the 1990s, and that is what NATO is trying to do today to Russia. That is why, at every single step, the West has prevented peace talks with Russia. They don't want peace. They only want to maintain their imperialist hegemony over the planet. And Russia and, and of course, China are in their way to complete unipolar hegemonic dominance of the planet, to their vision of the Wolfowitz Doctrine of, of full-spectrum dominance of the entire world. That's the US goal. It's to be the world's largest empire with no competition, with no obstacles in their way. And that's why they're waging war against Russia in Ukraine in this proxy war. 
So I know that I've mentioned a lot of different sources today. I have looked at a bunch of different articles and videos and such. In the description below, I will link to all of the sources so people can, can check it out for themselves and see that everything I have said talked about today is backed up by all solid sources, pretty much all from Western mainstream media outlets. So with that said, I'm gonna conclude here. I wanna thank everyone for watching or listening. If you wanna support this show, you can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com slash support, or you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy. I'm Ben Norton. I'm very grateful for any support. I'll see you all next time. If you listen to Western governments- hey, Folks, there you have it. Quite an eye-opener, huh? Quite a uh, boom, like they use in the Q terminology. Um, when I watched this thing, I learned a lot of things I didn't know. A lot of things I didn't know. But he backs everything up with sources and with history lessons and the whole nine yards, and I can't argue with him. <laughs> Um, not that I would anyway, but uh, I would find any, I would say that anybody would have a hard time arguing his points. Um, not saying that they can't be argued against, but uh, you'd have to be pretty debased to do it. Um, so we're, uh, we're standing at the precipice of what could be World War III. Um, we've given just about all of our munitions to uh, Ukraine, leaving us short. Ukraine has used them all up, uh, from what I understand, um, and they have nothing left. Um, and there was another point I wanted to make here. Um, they just want to, uh, actually this boils all, all the way down to the elites who want, uh, want a one-on-one -on -one world order, one world government, and uh, Russia standing in their way, so China and so far the United States. Um, but if we don't do something pretty soon, uh, what's going to happen is uh, Russia is concerned that uh, that the um, Ukraine would be admitted to NATO. So NATO is a treaty, okay? And part of this treaty is that if one of the NATO countries is attacked, then it's an attack against all the NATO countries, okay? United States, most of Europe, and um, even some parts of the, uh, like Georgia and stuff like that. But um, that being the case, um, it's, it's precarious. We're in a precarious uh, time in history. And um, if, if they were to admit, and, and Ukraine is pushing for it, and Biden is pushing for Ukraine to become part of NATO. Um, now, that leaves a lot of questions. Does uh, the treaty go retroactive to before the treaty? Um, if the Russians mount a, a serious attack after the treaty is established, if the Russians uh, mount a serious attack, will it be looked at as an uh, original attack against Ukraine and bring everybody in? Um, I heard today, and it's been backed up by news articles, that the Europeans are putting together an army of 300,000 men um, I should say individuals, um, that are uh, going to be amassing on the border of Ukraine. And um, that's not good news. It's not good news at all. Um, of course, you know, we. I want to point out, too, that um, back before World War II, uh, <laughs> and, uh, was it Neville Chamberlain, 
he was the prime minister of uh, of England, and he had a meeting with Adolf Hitler. Um, and the result of that meeting was Hitler promising that he was going to be a good boy and not attack any countries. Um, and, and Chamberlain believed it, and Chamberlain talked about peace in our time. And uh, Chamberlain was deceived mightily because not long after that, Hitler went into France and Poland <laughs> um, and Czechoslovakia, of course. But um, so th there are a lot of parallels between Hitler and uh, um, I would say Brzezinski, um, Zelensky. Um, there is a, um, a rebirth of Nazism starting up in Ukraine. Um, and it's not an imagination. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's, it's surreal. Um, back in World War II, the Ukrainians, a lot of them were Nazis. They, uh, they sided with Germany, and they were responsible for killing good Ukrainians and for rounding up a bunch of Jews and handing them to the, uh, the Germans. So it's a rebirth of basically, I, you know, a few years ago, I said, this, is, uh, this country is reminding me of Germany back in the 1930s. Uh, excuse me, in 1930s. And it slowly started to look more and more that way. And now it's looking like Germany at the end of the 1930s. And um, But we have an ally, Ukraine, which I guess you could call Italy in the end of the 1930s, um, that is uh, being a bad player on the scene. And, um, and, uh, and it's also funny how... Um, how the Biden administration has been coming out against patriots in this country, calling them Nazis, calling them uh, terrorists and uh, unpatriotic and, and stuff like that. Whereas he's the one that's supporting Ukraine. He's the one that's uh, is, uh, is supporting a, uh, a re um, reigniting of a Nazi theology or a theology. Well, yeah, maybe that. Um, but, uh, society here in the United States. And um, it's, it's odd, though, because it's, it's like a, a mishmash, a combination of, uh, of almost like a Soviet-style uh, communism mixed in with Nazism that the, uh, the federal government is turning into. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they've absorbed, basically, the FBI, who's become uh, the, um, the SS, <laughs> Uh, or the, the Gestapo, let's put it that way, um, right, you know, right at the beginning here. And um, the CIA is, uh, is in bed with all these people, too. And uh, it's just a mess, folks. And, you know, we need to, if you're a praying person, you need to start praying. Um, and if you have been, pray more, please. But uh, Things are coming to a head, and I'd rather not see them go towards Nazification of uh, total Nazification of Ukraine and the United States, which is, it will happen if, if it's not put in check. But um, my prayer specifically is that, and I know a lot of people or some people might disagree with me, but you got to admit that the country was a better place when Donald Trump was in office. Uh, we were self-sufficient. Um, energy-wise, and, um, and we were onward and upward. And, um, and of course, the left didn't like that. Uh, but I think the only chance that we could have is that we pray that Yahweh 
will embolden Trump to take over the government and make him successful at doing that, not waiting for 2024, but actually um, conducting, for lack of better words, a coup uh, against the present regime that's in the White House. Um, It's no secret that the, the military is in control of things for the most part, and and that the military has aligned itself for the most part with Trump. Um, so yeah, it's time, uh, the tyranny has gotten to a point of ridiculousness and um, it's either do something about it now or don't do anything and watch everything cave in because I don't think we're gonna get to 2024 elections if uh, if things aren't done soon to, uh, to change things. So yeah, keep that in your prayers. Uh, you know, don't do anything stupid, but keep that in your prayers that uh, Yahweh will somehow turn things around. But the big part is getting this country to repent, and um, that's the hard part. And Because uh, Yahweh is really, for lack of better words, he's got his hands tied right now. And um, because of the wickedness of this land, the people in this land, um, you know, he's basically got his hands tied. He can't do much, but if we pray, it'll loosen things up and he'll be able to do more. So not that our prayers are, not that Yahweh's will and desire is subject to our prayers. His ways are, are not our ways and uh, his ways are higher. Um, as what does the scripture say? As a, as heaven is as high above the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways. So um, we don't know totally what he's got planned. This might just be a, the, the end to where we're going to go into the tribulation period. Um, I don't know. but uh, And we also have to keep looking at Russia because Russia and or Turkey are supposed to go down into the Middle East and attack Israel um, in, in Ezekiel 38-39 scenario uh, war. And um, so how is this going to relate to that or does it? Is it? Is uh, somehow um, the hook going to be put into the jaw of uh, Gog and Magog uh, so that he comes from the farthest reaches of the north and comes down to Israel? What is that hook? What's it baited with? All hooks are baited, right? Um, so, you know, I, we, be with me as we look at these things, okay, and, and try to figure out maybe what Yahweh's got planned. I know that we won't know unless he lets us know. But, um, yeah, maybe he'll let one of you know, let one of me know. I see nobody's in the live chat, so this would probably be a good time to shut this thing down and get out of here. But, um, anyway, I hope that you've uh, learned something by what I've shown you today and that if you had any doubts about Russia being on board on the good side, that uh, those those thoughts are uh, diminished and and that you realize that uh, Putin has wanted to do the right thing for many times and, has always been uh, stonewalled or um, or kicked to the curb, so to speak. So uh, we need to pray that they get Biden out of office and that uh, all these little tin cots that are running these nations in Europe would uh, get replaced with uh, more righteous people. So with that having been said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to rise upon you and be gracious unto you. May what you're going out and you're coming in, you're rising up and you're lying down. May he give you the peace that passes all understanding. And may you go blessed. Uh, Tomorrow we'll be back with another show. 
this was a special show, uh, Wednesday night show, to I needed to get this on the air so we could start praying as soon as possible and um, and hope that uh, hope and pray that things uh, will turn around to where they'll be more advantageous to the righteousness of Yahweh rather than to the evil of Satan. Um, and I leave you with a prayer or a scripture. Uh, Micah in the fourth chapter. Um, this is talking about the end times. I think it's talking about the millennium, actually. Um, and it says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord, or Yahweh, shall be established in the top of all the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to, into it. And many nations shall, shall come and say, Come and let us go up into the mountain of Yahweh, and to the house of the God of, our Jacob, the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion, and from the word, and the word of uh, Yahweh from Jerusalem. And here's a good part. Well, it's all good, but and he shall judge nations among many people, and rebuke the strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn any war anymore. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Some um, translations say neither will they shall they um, enjoy war anymore. And it's funny because I planted a fig tree and some uh, grapevines forgetting about the scripture, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of Yahweh of, of hosts has spoken it. Uh, and for all the people will walk, everyone in, in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. Okay. It goes on with more really neat stuff, but we have to get going, right? So anyway, uh, be blessed, and I'll see you tomorrow if you should plan on coming and uh, fellowshipping with me. So Yahweh bless you, and uh, have a great night and a safe night, okay? In Yeshua's holy name, amen and amen. Good night, folks.